0: Hello, this is Angelique with the Gaston County Public Library. You are listening to the Book to the Library podcast, the audio recording to the library's Book to the Library author talks. On July 18, 2018, author Mary Alice Monroe visited the library to discuss her then-recently released book, Beach House Reunion, and her wildlife conservation efforts. Mary Alice Monroe is a New York Times bestselling author who found her true calling in environmental fiction when she moved to coastal South Carolina. She's received numerous awards, including several Reader's Choice Awards. And most recently, she was named by the South Carolina Academy of Authors as a 2018 inductee in the Literary Hall of Fame. That's pretty awesome. She's the author of the best-selling and award-winning Beach House series that introduced us to the struggles and the triumphs of the Rutledge family. And in this latest installment, we are once again transported into a beautifully written story that dives into the complexities of life, dealing with family relationships, breaking free of the past, and finding the courage to pursue your dreams. So ladies and gentlemen, there's a few, (laughs) please welcome to the Gaston County Public Library Mary Alice Monroe.
1: thank you so much I am so glad to be here but I have to apologize right off the bat and say I have a cold my grandson visited me last week and you know the parting gift so um, it's my and I hate summer colds but I'm going to um, hopefully not have to cough and sneeze too often but uh, bear with me it's a real pleasure to be here today also because I'm now a relatively a new neighbor I now have a house in Tryon North Carolina so we're relatively close I still have a home on Isle of Palms and will be dividing my time but I love the mountains and also I hate hurricanes (laughs) 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 truly Um, my next book actually the one I'm writing a book Well, I don't didn't mean to begin with this but I'm gonna jump right in I'm writing a book now that's set in Tryon and Isle of Palms in the southeast and Florida the whole southeast and the topic is evacuation and you know we all have these mudslides here and in fact there was a terrible mudslide just a half a mile from my house that I just bought and A and huge tree came down knocked over my new gate I lived in the house three weeks <laughs> so I guess I can't escape weather no matter where I go but I felt that having lived through so many hurricanes and evacuated so many times I really think with extreme weather becoming a common occurrence for us now that a major concern for all of us whether it's landslides or hurricanes or um, flooding fires is evacuation it's going to become an issue of our lives and I thought the question that interested me the most was when you pack up and you're leaving what do you take with you? What do you treasure? and that was the heart of, that's the story question of my new novel and it started because in fact I have been working with rescue horses for the last couple of years, last three years and I, my modus operandi when I write a novel is to do I don't have a story, I have a species, I have a concept So I was working with the horses, waiting for some story to come. And nothing was coming. I was just getting really tired lugging 50-pound bags of feed. (laughs) And last year during Irma, a lot of us were evacuating, and I packed up my five canaries. And if you've read Beach House for Rent, I have five canaries. And I packed up my two dogs. Left the jewelry, silver, and all that stuff and I just came up to my girlfriend's house in Tryon where I had been working with horses and I slept above her barn. Now her barn is nicer than my house, (laughs) I'm just saying. So for me, I slept up there and a lot of people were coming up to Tryon from Florida in Camden, South Carolina because Irma, if you remember, wobbled quite a bit. And so she, w- she had suddenly said, I'm gonna hit the southeastern coast of Florida. So all these horses from Wellington were on the move. So the Tryon International Equestrian Center opened up their doors to the horses. And the 250 horses came up. Mm-hmm. And we were there trying to help, more bags of feed and help out. And of course, my girlfriend's barns were filled. And I slept upstairs, and at her other crammed into wherever she could find them were other people. There was a couple from Miami in uh, Hunter jumpers, and dressage people, you know, from Wellington, and we'd all clean. It was sort of like think Big Chill, <laughs> think Big Chill. You know, you're there for five days, and I loved that movie, <laughs> just loved it, and so. Um, we also had my dogs and my dogs and a few other dogs, and they're all like in this big corralled backyard. And they're all, my dog was in heat. <laughs> <laughs> so, my, with my and I'm sleeping above in the barn, and I could hear the horses at night. Hmm. And the nickering and the... And to me, it was like when you listen to a cat purr, and they, you know, they need when they're making muffins, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, I could feel my blood pressure lower, and I felt calm, and I felt connected to these animals in a way that I hadn't before, and I knew, you know, this is special. This and that's what I wait for when I work with any species, is that connection. So over the next five days, we're cooking you know, the mama-la kind of cooking, and we're eating meals together. Someone proposed to someone. It was just wild. <laughs> and at the end of five days, I took my five canaries and put them in the car, and my dogs, who loved it, were sad to leave. And thank God my one puppy wasn't pregnant.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we got, and I'm driving home, and I thought, I have a novel. <laughs> I have a novel. And so I, that idea of evacuation and going up to the north stayed with me and that's what the net this novel is about so while I've been doing research I fell in love I've always loved the mountains and I had resolved after last year that I will not ever flee a hurricane again I don't like the traffic I'm so I bought a house in Tryon so I'm now your neighbor and so I hope to see lots of you lots of you but back to the beach which is what we're talking about today I moved to the beach from um, Washington, D.C. in 1998. Well, actually, I had a stint back in Chicago and then back. And so when we moved to Isla of Palms, my sister, who lived in Florida at the time, was ex- she's an artist, and she was explaining to me about how the turtles had tears mm-hmm. while they laid eggs because she was describing what she had seen. A turtle came ashore. Outside her house. Now, in Florida, that happens a lot if you live on the beach. They have thousands and thousands of nests. South Carolina, on my little beach, Isle of Palm, Sullivan's Island, we have maybe 50, 60 nests. So, compare that to a couple thousand nests on a beach in Florida. So, who was I talking to you when I said, if you really want to see turtles, go to Florida, because they have them up in spades. So, at any rate... Um, I was so captured by the image of tears and, a, and the metaphor of a mother giving birth and eggs, that whole laying eggs, crying, that I knew I had to write a novel. So the very first thing I did was join the Island Turtle Team of Isle of Palms, Sullivan's Island. And over the course of that, well that summer and the following, I was told Mary Alice, will just get your license here all the time anyway because when you get your permit license you're able to make the decisions to protect the nest to move the nest and everything and during those two years I became aware of issues facing these ancient Mariners that we have resolved much of it today but back in the 98 99 we hadn't and it was light disorientation the turtle excluder devices that they put on the shrimp nets so that the turtles don't drown and I was also very struck by the visitors who came to our beach to wait for the nests to hatch and they were had so many questions and I realized talking to these people at night when the moon's rising and, and we're just sort of there's a camaraderie amongst us that this wasn't idle curiosity people really cared and they wanted to know more about the species and I thought at that point how can I make my books a force for good how can I write a novel that will still be a story because I'm a novelist first and foremost I did not want to choose to write nonfiction but how could I make my story educational so that my readers would learn about the species without dogging down the pacing of the novel with a bunch of research. Because y'all hate it when you read a book, and you know when the, reader, the author's dumping research. It's just like you skip right through it because it's boring. I think the facts are interesting, and I wanted you to be as excited about the facts as I was. So I came upon a method of creating a novel that was new for this book that I still use today. And that is, in short, First, I choose the species, I don't have a story. Most authors have a story and do research, I have a species and let the animals tell me what the story is. Because I create my themes from what I learn from the animal. An example would be with a loggerhead sea turtle and and the beach house series, a turtle returns to the beach of its birth at maturity. We used to think it was around 20 years, now we know it's 29 years. But the turtle returns home to her birthplace to lay her nest. So I knew someone in the novel would be coming home. When she lays her eggs, she digs that hole down 20 to 24 inches deep with her rear flippers, and she lays 50 to 150 leathery eggs into her nest, covers it back up with sand, and then camouflages her nest by throwing sand everywhere. And as a reptile, her biological model is to go back to the sea, and never return to the nest. But for human parallel, I'm thinking that's abandonment. Mm-hmm. So I knew that it would be a theme in my novel. So you see how I create themes from what I learned from the animal because by doing that, I can then further create characters, plots, course setting to enrich and deepen the story, but also to educate you through the power of story without having to point my finger and tell you things because that's not why you're reading a novel. I want you to care about the people when you read my novels. But when you close that book, I want you to think, oh my goodness. Thank you, Mary Alice. I learned a lot about sea turtles, too. That's my goal. And that's why libraries are my partners. I really think you're my partners. Because when you finish my book, I want you to go to the library and find out from nonfiction more about the turtles that you love. So I knew that I came this idea was unlike anything I'd written before or even read before so it was special and I who brought the little book was that show that book oh my goodness this was a very special book and I knew it was important but it was a book on a contract oh no not the children's book that is a one that is my children's book if you all know I with photographs who has the mass market of the beach house someone I signed it today oh there it is a treasure. I, it was not a fancy hardcover. You know, back in the day, this was, it was published and I knew when I handed it in, it was, I gave like a kiss and I handed the book in and I wanted to not hand it in because it was the fourth book on my four book contract. And, but you know, you have to do what you have to do. As I, was, I was legally bound and they just tossed the book out there. Not as a hardcover, but as a little mass market. you know and I knew it was special and it was the book of my heart and they always say write the book of your heart and in fact if you look at the reason why this one is very special is it went to print so many times because no one was more surprised than my publisher than how how successful (laughs) it was (laughs) but when we took the picture in the back it's usually just the face but because I was a member of the team. The team was so important, and this is about turtle teams. It's a picture of my team. So this is a real collector's. You should go online and try and find these or these old, old books or used bookstores and get one of these. You can't buy it anymore. So that book went out there, and I did old school. There was no internet in 2002, no social media to promote a book it was old school word of mouth, which is the best way even today because there's so much social media you trust when someone says you should read this book so i was took my my sister ruthie and i you know ruthie um, we put books in the back of my car and we just went from store to store to store to store uh, along the southeastern coast hi do you have a copy of my book and maybe they had You'll appreciate this. Two copies. <laughs> and on the way, excuse me, <coughs> and I apologize for that. Thank you, Wesley. Um, <laughs> on the way, I was in a bookstore and my editor called, and it was my first New York Times hit. And I was over the moon, not just because it's important for my career, and of course, within two weeks, there were dumps in every store with books everywhere, and, but it meant that it greenlit my ability to continue writing books that I wanted to write as a force for good about the environment. And I am an environmentalist, but I had believed in and this supported and and proved that through the power of story, I could bring awareness to these species. And also, I get to also continue working with animals, which is my true passion. I don't think it's original. I think Christ figured it out pretty well with parables, didn't he? You teach a moral truth. And that's all I'm trying to do, is to present a a moral truth about the environment. And it's important that we all pay attention. So I, I wrote The Beach House and was on the path and wrote other books set against wildlife. And the method was the same. I wrote about birds of prey, worked with the animals, and I wrote Skyward. And wrote Sweetgrass, which is about the sweetgrass baskets and the disappearing grass. And then my girlfriend, Barb Bergroof, who works, who's the photographer in that children's book, um, she said, Mary Alice, come down to the aquarium. We're, We're bringing in a sick turtle. We're going to start a hospital. And I, yes, you know, wow, I have never done that before. So I ran down to the hospital and it was a big old turtle, for me the biggest live turtle, I'd, barely alive turtle I'd ever seen. About 230 pounds, and I've since seen much bigger turtles. But for, in my mind, this will always be the biggest turtle. And the turtle's name was Stinky. They called it Stinky. I mean, a horrible name, but it was aptly named. And it was covered with barnacles, and we didn't have a tank for the turtle, so we went to Walmart and got the plastic kiddie pool and we put the big old turtle and if you read swimming lessons you know how we handled it and we hoisted the turtle up on a cardboard box and that was our first examining table all I can say is thank goodness for duct tape (laughs) for helping the it was it was an ordeal but it was also so exciting to know that we were going to start a hospital at the South Carolina aquarium down in the bowels in the basement with the pipes and the rumbling noise and we went from after that turtle we ran from floor to floor to floor and anywhere there was a spare tank we put a turtle in that and that was the beginning of the sea turtle hospital and now all these years later the South Carolina Aquarium has a state of the art a sea turtle hospital the whole first floor is a sea turtle hospital you've got to go visit it it's absolutely wonderful but I was struck by the resilience of these turtles that come in near death. And the parallel for me was the resilience of women who go through hard times and manage to persevere. And so I wrote swimming lessons. And that's the second, and I thought that was just a sequel. Then I moved forward with other books again, Monarch Butterflies and Fly Fishing in North Carolina with Time as a River and I still fly fish, of course, and my daughter, who's about 20-something now, Greta, the book had been out the beach house for 10 years, said, Mama, she finally read the book, by the way, (laughs) 10 years later. (laughs) Now, if you have daughters, you get that. And she goes, Mama, I don't know why she just didn't leave her husband. Uh Now, if you, how many people have read the beach house or saw the movie? Okay then you know that Stratton was an abusive husband. He was a bully. And... Oh, anybody here? <laughs> so he was an abusive husband. And I thought to myself, my daughter, who was in her 20s, had no clue that in the 1970s, when Lovey was a, a young woman in her 30s and had fallen in love for the first time in her life, unfortunately, she was married, why she couldn't leave her husband. There were no shelters back in the 70s in Charleston. And a woman who lived south of Broad in Charleston didn't leave her family, did not get a divorce. It was a huge scandal. And I realized how far we've come today. We have facilities, we have support. We support one another as women. But back then, a friend would have said, don't. She could have lost her children. So I wrote the story of Lovey's love story, which I still think today is the best love story I've ever written. And in the movie, if you saw the movie, The Beach House, how many have seen the actual Hallmark Hall of Fame? Did you know there was a Hallmark Hall of Fame movie, The Beach House? Oh, my goodness, yes. It's wonderful with Andy McDowell. Love it. But they did not show that in the movie. And I wasn't disappointed because... You can only show so much in a film, but you have to read it because it's such a beautiful love story. And I wanted my daughter and other people to realize why Loving made the choice she did. But also in the 1970s, I always now look for that parallel with nature. That was the year when, 1974, when the northern end of the Isle of Palms, which used to be a maritime forest, was made into what we now call wild dunes. So change development. And that was Beach House Memory. So now I had 3 books and I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to keep my antennas up. I didn't write in, I wrote other books. I think the Low Country series came, which I really loved Dolphins Mama, loved that series. And I was struck by Okay, let me back up 2 steps. I cuz I was struck, but I want to tell you why. I was called in to bring a pelican to the Birds of Prey Center. I don't work with Birds of Prey Center regularly anymore but I'm still called on to bring in a sick bird. So I brought this pelican in and it had um, fishing wire wrapped around its feet which is a real problem. Don't get me started on that. I could talk for an hour just on that. So plastics in the ocean. Um, While I was assisting to rehabilitate and, you know, treat this bird, this beautiful pelican, brown pelican, I heard a staggering fact that 70% of the shorebirds, I'm sorry, 70% drop in the population of shorebirds in the United States since the 1970s. 70% and it's climbing. Now, I was struck by that, that's what I'm getting at. I was struck by that because I live on the ocean and I work with birds. If I didn't know that, I figured most of my readers didn't either. So when I get that, that sense of knowing that it's time to write about this species now, it's a kind of a zing. Mm, I really feel it. And it's hard to explain and it's, it's intuition. And everyone in this room has that power. And it's not woo-woo. It's it's like if you hear the phone ring. I always use this example. And it's your child. And you say, oh, that's that's my daughter. And it is. You're not so surprised. And you don't even question it. You just accept it. That's your intuition at play. And back in the day of shamans, we had this power a lot. It was very strong. But I think because we live in a technological world, and we're embarrassed to say we use our intuition, that it's called woo-woo, it's not. Because I've worked with animals for over 25 years and you trust your intuition ex- almost exclusively when you work in the wild. So I, when I get an idea that it's time to write about this species now, as opposed to maybe hummingbirds or manatees or whatever the next species, bees. There's a long list of animals I want to write about. But it's like, no, it's time now. And I don't question it when I feel it. So at any rate, um, I knew I had to write another book set against shorebirds, but to place it on the beach. And because I placed it on the beach, I thought, I'm going to go back to the Rutledge family this historic family, because my readers love that. They've becoming to starting to love these people. So I wrote Beach House for Rent. So this is a story, it has shorebirds and turtles in it, but what's become amazing to me as the author of the series, because now it's a series, right? This is number four, and I never intended it to be a series. It's just when I had something more to say. I wrote another novel about it. But over the course of 2002 to 2014, or 15, when, no, last year, Beach House for Rent came out. So that would be 2017. My readers became attached to the Rutledge family. And what I've enjoyed and my readers have enjoyed is watching the family grow in age and years over the course of time. Because it's just not continuing the next year. No, Kara was 40 in the Beach House. Kara is turning 50 in Beach House for rent. I wrote that book, and it was a powerful book. I don't know if you've read that. If not, it's a really strong and a highly emotional book. I kind of pulled the rug out from under my readers in that book, right? I see you nodding your head. But I don't ever like to um, make my readers feel forlorn. I think there's hope at the end. But at the, I thought I would wait a couple more years and I got so many letters from y'all saying, don't make me wait two years. <laughs> In fact, there's one right back there. Tracy, wave your hand. She's on my, my advance team and she's, they, they came up with ideas and they nailed me to the wall and said, "You here's what you're going to do. And I'm like, hey, you know, those are good ideas. So, I also was greenlit for the movie. And that's a whole adventure that was such a delight and a surprise. Andy McDowell is a wonderful woman, has since become a friend, who's going to visit me in Tryon, by the way. And we'll try and get her back to North Carolina. And she's a truly gifted artist, but she's also a conservationist. And she loves turtles and a South Carolina girl so she was very keen to make this movie and we waited for three years for it to be a hallmark hall of fame because we didn't want this movie filmed in Canada the low country is not Canada and I'm Canada's gorgeous but it ain't the low country so um, once it was greenlit to be made into a film I that plus the letters from my readers said alright I won't wait I'll write another book now so I tackled the next in the phase of the beach house series which is called beach house reunion which is the new one i think of all the books that i wrote this one is the biggest surprise for me personally i didn't realize how much i would love this book uh, people think it's, sometimes people think it's my best book. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think books reach and, and speak to people for different reasons at different time, And I sometimes feel like I'm a conduit for something higher coming through me. So I don't try to judge each book. Like you don't judge your children. You love them all. But I will say that the pleasure for me was to step back as the author and look at the series of characters over a period of almost 15 to 20 years and when I reread The Beach House to study it because I know if I made a mistake I would hear from you. (laughs) I saw a destructive pattern in that family. Remember the abusive father with Kara which is what, what sparked her leaving in the first novel The Beach House and now they're older Palmer, the brother, is now 15-8, older. And his son, who is only 6 years old in the first book, is now 18. And Linnea, the daughter, is now 23. So you have Kara coming home again to the Isle of Palms in this book. It kind of mirrors the first one. And when you've been away from your family for a while, you can see more clearly change than when you're in it every day. You know, you see your your family reunion. You see children growing up and changed. You see aging. You see mannerisms where, oh, it's just like my brother. You know, my brother looks like my father. You know, you see the changes because you've been away. Kara's been away, and she can see this destructive pattern, and it hits her, because she sees Palmer now becoming the bully. He's an, the alcoholism in the family, the disease he's got. And not only that, but he's starting to model that behavior for his son, Cooper. Mm-hmm. And his son has a drinking problem. And the women are responding in the same way. And she's thinking to herself, how can I break this pattern in my family? What can I do? And to me, this was a really important issue, especially with opiate addiction right now with our kids. And my husband's a child psychiatrist, and I consulted with him at length with the writing of this book. Because I really, this was an important family story. And I made um, Kara the heroine in this book. She's tough, she's feisty. But rather than react as she had in the other four books, com- combative with her brother, telling him off what to do, this time when her brother confronted her, go on, get out of here, you don't know, go, go back to your beach house, she said, I love you. You were there for me when I needed you. I'm not going anywhere, I'm here for you. So she reacted with love, she reacted with understanding of the condition that he had, the modeling that he had with the father and that gave her compassion. Those are the qualities of a hero and she helps her brother and the family break this destructive pattern and I think that's an important theme in this book and actually one of the core reasons why I wrote it and that's why I called it Beach House Reunion. It's her coming home and every family member, every character in the entire series is in this book. (laughs) It's a reunion for you too. So I was really pleased with the way I was able to draw out that theme. And also, turtles, we're back to turtles. We're back to turtles in a big, big way in this book. Linnea's the next in the generation you remember Lovey, the great turtle lady, the great teacher. By the way, if you love Lovey, you're going to love this book. I did this for Andy McDowell. I promised Lovey would have a comeback. Linnea's story continues to the next generation, what goes on with sea turtles. But also, I brought a turtle back, and I'm going to close with this. Do you remember in swimming lessons, I don't know who's read swimming swimming lessons. If not, it's it's the great. It's a, it's a fun book. It's the one about the sea turtle hospital. There was a stranding in the, in that book with a turtle called Big Girl. Is that my phone? Oh no, I'm sorry. It's, I thought that usually my my son calls me in every speech I make. It's crazy. <laughs> Mama, where are you? Um, okay, back to back to Big Girl. That is my ring. I, that's probably my son. <laughs> um, big Girl is stinky. When I wrote the novel, Swimming Lessons, I couldn't call the turtle stinky. Mm-hmm. So I called her Big Girl. And she w- you really loved her. And she and Toy, she's like the, the vehicle that helped Toy mature. And when, her release was a beautiful thing. Well. In real life, because everything I write about is really based on my experiences, and I'm on the board of the South Carolina Aquarium, I think most of you know that. In real life, two years ago, when the South Carolina Aquarium team were out in the water, some 30, 40 miles out, they were capturing live turtles out there in the Gulf Stream and doing what we call assays, health assays, where they do blood assays, they do Measurements and this. What is the state of our turtles out there? Well, they captured one turtle with a tag, and guess who it was? <laughs> yes, or stinky. <laughs> so, what was so great was that we knew that 10 years later, this turtle was that we released was out there still, give, you know, producing eggs, creating more turtles. It was such a triumph for the, for the aquarium, for conservationists everywhere. So of course I had to bring Big Girl back into the book. <laughs> so you see Big Girl back in the book. It's such a triumph. There's a lot of turtles in the book, and I think this is a love letter to our relationship with sea turtles. I think it's the best ending I ever wrote. It's, it speaks firmly of my belief in the power of women, linking arms. That when we gather together for a purpose, no matter what, friends of the library for example, when you gather together for a purpose we can do anything. We really can. Our research for my husband, he tells me, has confirmed that what used to be called in a rather derogatory fashion, women taught You know how we get together? Mm -hmm. Turtle teams, book clubs, quilting circles, when women get together for women talk. We now know that this talking, the sharing of information, the support is essential to feminine health, essential to our well being. So keep it up, ladies, first of all. (laughs) But number two is. The closing of this book showed family members who triumphed over this obstacle, this, the illness in the family, whether it be mental health or just illness, disease, or trauma, when women link arms and hold firm together, we're strong. And that's what I loved about this ending, so I, I think you're going to enjoy it. It's been a wonderful series for me to write and I'm not going to stop. I've decided Jan Caron came out with her 14th. Move over, Jan. I'm only on number five. <laughs> She's a lovely lady, by the way. And um, I will be writing another. I can't promise when, but within the next couple of years, I'll, I'll have another Beach House books. So thank you all very much for inv- letting me talk about my series. Thank you so much.
0: This has been the Book to the Library podcast featuring Mary Alice Monroe.